Well, I always thought, I always thought the best idea for a short film would be about a beautiful woman and a goldfish. <laughs> and that's all she said. And my whole mind went like, oh. And I could see, in, in that moment, as we were driving through Death Valley, I could see the whole story play out in my head in South Pasadena, like all the imagery, the rich imagery. Like, so I went home and I thought, I'm just going to quickly write this idea down before I forget it. Right. And I took, it was like two and a half hours and I had written the whole script. That's Monica Petrillo. She sat down with me and talked about flying around Australia, making movies in South Pasadena, and yes, goldfish. This is Ed Donnelly, and you're listening to South Pasadena. In South Pasadena tradition, um, how did you wind up here in, in South Pass? So um, the way we wound up in South Pass, so Julie and I have lived here since 1999, which is 20 years this year. Um, and at the time, I had lived in L.A. for a while, but I lived in Silver Lake, and Julian uh, lived in New York. And so when I had finally convinced him to move out to the West Coast and live with me, um, initially, I thought we have to live in Silver Lake because that's where I thought I wanted. I lived at the time and I wanted to live. But then we came out, and we were uh, looking for a house. We wanted a small house with a with an outside space, and so we stayed with our friends, the Zenuses, in their guest oh. house for a week or so while we were house shopping. And uh, we would always, you know, get up in the morning, drive to Silver Lake, Eagle Rock, Highland Park, that area, the hills. I needed to live in the hills, I thought. And so we looked at all these, we could not find the place that felt right. And at the end of the day, we would always get back in the car and, you know, drive back to the Zenas' guest room. And uh, one day, one of us looked to the other one and said, like, oh, doesn't it feel good when you can finally get on that 110? And then we looked at each other and we were like, what are we, stupid? <laughs> like, if this feels so right, you know, why, why, why are you fighting it? <laughs> why are we fighting it? So the next morning we picked up a copy of the South Pass Review. And lo and behold, there was a little ad in there, you know, house for rent on Adelaide Avenue. We looked at it. We lied to the real estate person and pretended we were engaged, which we weren't yet. <laughs> and so they weren't rented to us. And we moved in within, you know, a month or two, I think. Um... And so we lived in that little rental house, um, completely unaware of what a great place it is to raise children, because we weren't even married yet. Right, right. Um, then our daughter was born, and we said, oh, okay, well, I think we need to, we, it's time for us to own a piece of this action. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, I think we were walking across the farmer's market when Julian said that to me. We are like, you know, it's time to own this. And uh, so the next day I walked, I got up, I walked to Trader Joe's with a stroller. And across the street from that little house was a moving truck. And I said to myself, wouldn't it be ironic if <laughs> we moved right across the street? place across the street. Uh, and so the way life sometimes goes, you know, you think you, you can turn right or left here. It's up to you, you know. So I walked up to these people and said, you know, pardon me for being nosy, but is this house going to be for sale? And they said, no, no, she wants to rent it, but she's not going to sell it. But we ended up sending a letter to the lady who owned it, um, snail mail letter, and I ended up meeting her three times over apple pie at Caro's, and we hashed out the whole, neither one of us had ever bought or sold a house, but we hashed it out over right. a couple of apple pies, and we bought that house, and we That's moved awesome. with a, we moved with a, wheelbarrow from one house <laughs> to the other. And we've been in that house for, yeah, for like 16 years. And then it wasn't until Louisa entered preschool, you know, that we started to realize, wow, 
we lucked out. Like we ended up in the best place to raise a family and find way better than Silver Lake. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> way better. Um, well, the the uh, so I, I assume I met you through Julian. Um, so I met him uh, at the Fourth of July parade a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, he came in and got whipped everybody into shape. You know, I said, "Who's oh, this guy? He's a force of nature." You know, and then <laughs> he ended up being my vice president uh, for the middle school PTA as well. Yes, I think that's how we met. Yeah. Um, but at some point, you told me that you were making a short film, and I think I don't know that you had shot it yet. I'm not. I can't remember. No, I think I contacted you when I needed to up find a place to upload it to the Bogota Film Festival. That's right, that's right, that's right. I think we've met a couple times before yeah. at parties here and there or whatever, right. PTA. And right, whatever. I, I would, but um, in my typical sort of obliviousness, I don't know what anybody does professionally, usually. <laughs> um, so what, what you work in the film industry now, yes. what do you do typically when you're on set? What's your role? What do I get paid for, you mean? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I... Um, I work as a script supervisor, okay. which many people... Most oh, I didn't people, know that. I yeah, know that. many people think when you say script supervisor, they think I write scripts, which no. I've also done, but that's not what a script supervisor does. So a script supervisor, also known as continuity, it's the person on the set that you usually see next to the director with a stopwatch around their neck and a script in their hand, or nowadays often a laptop or computer. Um, as a script supervisor, you watch, make sure the actors say the the lines they're supposed to say and that they, um, you know, you keep notes of all the shots that you put, that you film. Um, so the editor knows how to assemble the footage. Right. And one of the more important things is you watch for continuity. Um, so all the details that uh, go on in a film. So let's say, you know, I'm sure you've seen a movie and you go like, wait a minute, didn't she just wear a blue sweater? Oh, yeah, and like, sure. Or like, wait a minute, they just ran through the rain. How come they're not wet? Right. So those are continuity mistakes. And sometimes that happens because you film a film or a television show out of sequence. You don't film it in the order that the scene... Right, right, right. So you're not necessarily going to be aware of those details because you could have filmed something weeks ahead of time. Exactly. Right? Like, yeah. it happens on, you know, some of you film something where you... You know, they're all coming in the room, but then you not until five weeks later do you shoot them running through the rain. So it is my job then to make sure on that day it's like, they should be wet because they will have run through the rain right. <laughs> once we shoot it. Right. Um, so stuff like that, but also with this continuity within a scene, uh, if you film a scene of two people having dinner together um, and at some point somebody, you know, puts their glass down and says, I've had enough and stands up. You might shoot that scene from a wide shot, but then also in close-up, different camera angles, and the actors have to do the same thing in the same way again and again and again. Right. Otherwise... It looks funny. It looks funny. If, like, in the close-up, he stands up first and says, I had enough afterwards, then you can't cut that together. So, right. So that's kind of... So in the age of the Internet, that must be a really challenging job because there's an army of nerds out there on their laptops waiting to catch those mistakes, sure, right? Sure, They've always been there, even before well, they Sure, but they yeah, had to actually go to a theater books. and then, <laughs> you know, call somebody. Now they can just immediately blog about it or post it on social media. Um, so in that role as script supervisor, you're thinking about all the, those really minute details. Mm-hmm. How's that different than when you're in the role of a director making a short film? That's a good question. Um... Yeah, script supervising is all is very much about details and about catching, you know, the mistakes before they happen. When you when you direct, you 
think more about the big picture of the film. You know, do you get the feeling right? Is the emotion there? Like you, you're hoping, you're hoping you have a script supervisor that will point out the minutia, the minutia, right. so you don't have to think about that. You know, but you, you, you focus more on you know, does this look right? Does this feel right? Um, am I getting all the shots I need to tell the story? Um, to tell the story. Yeah. Right. Right, it's um, it, it's so outside of my world, um, and I got to actually be on a music video shoot last week on the set, uh -huh. and watching. You know, when you kind of see like the making of documentary, you see all these people standing around a movie set, and you uh -huh. think, what are they all doing, <laughs> right? But then when you see how the process works and how every everyone plays an integral role, at some point, it was pretty fascinating for me, because it was all new. And, and yes, there was a script supervisor even uh -huh. for the music video. Uh -huh, um, of course. Uh, it was really cool to see um, how that teamwork comes together. Because uh -huh. if one person's not doing their job, it affects everything. For sure, and, for sure. Uh, and and I, I'm sure I could like, you know, make some analogies or between making a record and I was gonna say, or, I imagine, you know, maybe not live music, but recording music must be somewhat similar that you, you know, you record different tracks and everybody has their moment and... You do, but you have, you know, you have less, less, you're dependent on less people for the outcome except mm -hmm. for the performers. Right. Um, you know, you might have like an engineer, an assistant engineer, and a producer. A producer on a record is a role very much like, like a, a director, director of a film, right? Uh, making sure we're getting everything we need and, mm -hmm. and you're getting those performances that yeah. really come across and you can uh, communicate the emotions. But then, you know, you don't have a grip and a gaffer and mm -hmm. a script supervisor. So it's, you know, film and TV seems like a much more collaborative process in a way. Um, yeah behind the scenes, not, yeah, not just the actors. I mean, it, it can vary greatly. You know, I, I worked on this movie, Alita Battle Angel, that's actually coming out two weeks from now. And there are probably 350 people involved in that wow. film. Right. Whereas like when I just shot my short film in my own house, we were about 15 people. <laughs> right. That's like a bare, bare minimum of what you need, I right. think. Um, so let's talk about, I've watched two of your movies, Fly About. Mm -hmm. And Wink. Um, Wink is the one that you're talking about. You recently did, and I helped you upload to Columbia. Um, so I got to watch it with Spanish subtitles. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the first one, Fly About, was you were in your 20s. Um, and, and it's a documentary about, I'll let you tell the, the whole story. It was a documentary about you and your family, in particular, there's some interaction with your father, going to Australia and then flying around in small airplanes, which people don't typically do that. <laughs> so before you tell us all about it, are you still a pilot? Are you still flying? I am still a pilot. I mean, if you still have your I license. I haven't but... flown in many years, yeah. unfortunately. Is it something that you miss, or is it something that you kind of did and got out of your system? No, it's something I miss. I mean, yeah. not not one Cessna flies overhead in South Pasadena, and I don't look up. That doesn't, <laughs> I mean, you, you're once a pilot. I think you're always a pilot, I, for sure. Um, and it's something I'm definitely going to return to. But it, it, time came in my life where it was, you know, having two kids and wanting to advance my directing career. There's just only so many hours in the day. Right. So I had to make a very clear choice to put that on the shelf while I was focusing, you know, on something on, else. So. On the life in front of you. And I'm sure it's not an inexpensive hobby either. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, all right. So 
tell us about the movie and how it came about. How did, first of all, I, I had never heard of uh, tour groups that took pilots and a handful of airplanes and toured around. Is that really unique to that company in Australia, or is it something that happens all over the place? You know, I had never heard of that either, um, uh, and it, there aren't very many of them either. I mean, I, there's probably more Harley-Davidson tours that right, you can sure, go on. Than, sure. But there's also fewer pilots in the world. But, um, no, the way the whole thing came about was actually, it's very much a story of, like, life is what happens when you make other plans. Like, I couldn't have, if you had asked me when I was 20, you know, do you think you're going to fly a plane around Australia and make a movie about it? I would have right. laughed out loud. No way. Um, I never even dreamt of being a pilot, as, which is a little untypical because most pilots do have that. There's a yearning for they it. They have right, this right, yearning. Yeah. So I kind of came to it very unexpectedly. I was at a party in Hollywood, and I was chatting with the production driver after a movie, and he told me he was a flight instructor. And I said, what do you mean you're a flight instructor? And he said, well, I teach people how to fly. And I had never heard of such a thing. You know, growing up in Germany, we don't have that kind of general aviation that exists right. in it, America. Probably most pilots come to it from the military, right? Yeah, or Lufthansa. You know, yeah, I mean, I right, thought right. You, you, if you're a pilot, you work for Lufthansa. That's right. kind of how I grew up. So when this guy said to me, no, 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 I teach people like you. You know, if you want to learn how to fly a plane, you come to Van Nuys, $50, get, buys you like a test flight and you try it out and I I was 24 at the time and I thought wow like it was sort of like somebody offering me a ticket to a roller coaster so of course I had to try that right um so I went out and I went flying with him in this you know shoebox of a plane in the Cessna and 15 minutes later I was flying over Sherman Oaks looking down at all these uh swimming pools it was amazing and I was completely exhilarated and said, this is cool. And, and I look over to him, and he had his hands on his lap and said, like, yeah, you're doing pretty well. And I was like, ah, put your hands on. What are you doing? And he said, you've been flying for the last 10 minutes all by yourself. So wow. it was a very empowering feeling. And I remember very clearly laying in bed that night in the dark thinking, should I do this? Like, this is kind of crazy. And it's everybody knows it's difficult, and it's expensive, and I don't have any money. And... And then I had this tiny bit of a thought enter my mind that, well, what if I do this despite the fact that it's crazy and expensive and difficult, then I really prove to myself that I'm in charge of this life. This is my life, and I do whatever I want. So it became this challenge, and I needed to prove to myself that that was right. true. So I spent every last dime I owned at the time, and uh, the next four weeks, nothing else but going to the airport really? studying and everything. Wow. And four weeks later, I had my pilot's license. And then I told, when I told my dad on the phone, so that was the next thing that happened. I told him on the phone, I said, yeah, you know, I, I'm getting a pilot's license. And I was firmly prepared for him to say, like, no, you're not. Or, like, <laughs> what, what, how, you know, like, to try and talk me out of it. But instead, he got very quiet. And he said, um, I'm really, I'm really envious. And it turns out that he confided in me that it was always his dream in life. And... Cut to, like, a year later, he came over from Germany, took all his vacation, and got his pilot's license when he was 58. And then another year went by, and we thought, well, we've always wanted to visit Australia, but it would only make sense to see that place if you could cover these great distances so you can see the whole place. Right, right, right. Uh, and then I read in a magazine that there's this tour. You can rent a plane, or you can be with this tour, and they take you around Australia. And so we booked it, and two years later we went and circumnavigated the whole continent of Australia. And then 
So unrelated to all this, I had wanted to make my first movie, and I tried to write some scripts and couldn't quite come up with one that seemed good enough to be worthy of my first film. And as I was packing for Australia, it like hit me, and I thought, wait, I'm about to do something that's going to be interesting. Like I have no idea what's going to happen or how this is going to go, but it's going to be interesting. So I just bought a camera. And I watched a bunch of documentary films beforehand, and like Sherman's March. I don't know if you know that film, Mm-mm. Um, Mm-mm. which inspired me to just do this in a very personal way, like turn the camera on myself, and you know, just take make the camera basically an extension of myself. And um, so I filmed everything and everyone, and came back with 25 hours of footage, which is not a lot. Like most documentaries are made out of 500 hours of footage. Oh wow. And then I had to learn how to edit and spend basically seven years in somebody's, you know, somebody let me borrow his computer and shoot in the back of a warehouse and um, finally finished. But it, it took a long time, but I knew I always, I was going to finish it no matter how long it took. And well, there was, there was a couple of things. That, well, first of all, the scenery is pretty amazing. Mm. And I would imagine that the experience, I've been on some like small sort of like Buddy Holly style commuter airplanes, but I've never been in a small Cessna. Um, how, how high are you? You're just a couple thousand feet, right? Well, you can be anywhere from 500 feet above ground to 11,000. Okay, but you're, you're, you're not anywhere near as high as a commercial airliner. No, no, no. So the experience of what you're able to see Isn't flying at those, those altitudes is pretty cool. That's what makes it so amazing. I mean, I have, for a while, I, I, I would put it on the, like, party gras, you know, auction, uh, put like a thing, fly over your hometown. So I would take people up and fly that was over. You? That was me. I didn't know that. <laughs> you didn't know that? <laughs> no. Yeah. So like, I'd, I would give them a DVD of the move of flyabout, right. and then I would take them, and we'd fly over South Pasadena and circle over their house and That's the school, cool. and you know, go over Dodger Stadium and over to Catalina. That's really fun. So. Um, so I don't know if we said that at the start of this. Is the movie is called Flyabout? Mm-hmm. Um, I watched it on Amazon. Where else can people find it if they want to watch it? So yeah, it's on Amazon. So if you have Prime, you can watch it for free. Right. Um, uh, it's on Vimeo on demand, and then it's on a couple of other um, smaller like um, video distribution. Yeah, kind of video distribution. As channels. a as a filmmaker, <clears throat> so I know you know uh, as far as. Uh, releasing music to the world, you know, the technology has been a blessing and a curse. Uh, a blessing because anybody can reach anywhere on the globe with a couple of mouse clicks now. Mm-hmm. If you if you're creating art and making yeah. music, but then there's piracy and people sharing things, and you know, there's a downside to the commercial end of a, of it. But as a filmmaker, it's got to be. Um, it's a different landscape now than it was 20, 25 years ago because you can now create a film and distribute it on your own and actually reach people. Mm-hmm. Um, is, is that something that that filmmakers are thinking about or are they still just trying to sell it to Netflix, sell it to Amazon, sell it to somebody? Hmm. Well, when I made Flyabout, you know, I, it's, it's, I feel like I sort of straddled that change, if that makes any sense. Yeah, like right. I, yeah. I started before the big revolution and which is why like I, I started by editing with these two like nine gigabyte drives I mean like your iWatch has probably more right yeah right, right. <laughs> storage space now um, and uh, and then by the time I was done because it took me so long you know everything had become digital and uh, 
but I definitely self-distributed my film, and it, 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 I, but you know, that's now ten years ago or so. Um, I would travel and you know sell DVDs, but even that's now outdated. Right. So now, um, but it, and, and 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 so actually, just pretty recently, did I reach out and get it on Amazon, and sign this deal with Film Hub, and they're getting it on these other video on demand um, platforms. Um, yeah, I think, and with Wink, you know, I, I definitely, you know, I, I was planning all along to use Vimeo and to, you know, to show it to people. And right. um, short films are a little different because they're not, it's not much distribution or less distribution. But, yeah, does that answer your yeah, question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sort of? the, the, it's, it's just an interesting time because we did see that transition from yeah. gatekeepers and big media companies and you you got to go through them to get to an audience yeah. whereas artists now are able to reach an audience no the you know the downside of that is there's a lot of crap there's a lot of crap <laughs> there's a lot of crap that's true and 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 you can definitely see that for example in film festivals like with wink you know i've been traveling to film festivals for like the last year year and a half and um Film festivals are getting swamped with content. They're getting so many short films because anybody can make a short film with their iPhone now. Right. Doesn't necessarily mean it's good. You know, you still it's it's easier to make yeah. a film, much easier. Um, We're so my son is applying to LAXA, to the arts high school mm -hmm. uh, to their filmmaking program, and he had to make a short film, three minute film, mm -hmm. shot it on an iPhone. Um, mm -hmm. But we were we were talking about it. I'm so curious to see what the other kids are doing too, because I kind of saw his and said, "Oh, it's clever. It's got some, you know, show some show, show some promise for sure." Mm -hmm. But what what are the other kids creating? I can't. You didn't see the other ones. No, because you send in your submission uh, and they didn't know. have like a showing of them. No, I don't know if they do eventually. But I, I would be I would be even if it was to see like the five best ones or mm -hmm. five worst, whatever it is, just to get a sense of. Of how those kids are approaching their their like visual sense. No, I bet you it's not too dissimilar from the um, uh, state float parade at Oro Vista. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It'll all depend on how much help they get from their parents, or you know, if they did it all by themselves. You know, you get the little shoebox yeah. ones, or you get the like. <laughs> yeah, when we when we saw that we went to the school like sort of the like, orientation, I guess, or you know, introduction meeting and. And the guy kind of made it clear that, like, having your parents help you will be very apparent, mm -hmm. and it won't necessarily really help you. Help you, you yeah. It'll, I'm sure it is apparent, yeah. yeah. Especially in this town where, you know, their, their parents very well could be in the film or TV yes. industry. So. so let's talk about Wink. Um, it's a, about 15-minute long film, short mm -hmm. film, uh, and it's, it's beautifully shot. And I don't want to give too much of the plot away because mm -hmm. there's a little bit of a twist, twist yeah. towards the end. Um, who was the actress? She was great. Her name's Caitlin Brandis, and she, yes, she's amazing. I mean, she is that film. I mean, it's she's that character for sure. For sure, totally. Which she actually isn't funny enough, you know. The reason, but that's that's but a she, good actor, right? She's a good actress. Yeah, she. Um, but the film is to ninety-five percent her on screen by herself. So like, it was all about. Oh yeah, yeah, right. You know, she had to carry that. That, that takes a good actress to to be able to carry that. Yeah, and she's she's really charming. Yeah, um, she had a lot. I love how you know. Speaking of details, she has so much going on in her face. You know, the little tiniest subtle movements of an eyebrow or 
twitching of a cheek. <laughs> right. So um, the story idea, you got the story idea somewhere and, and based the script around it? or Yeah, the story idea. Uh, and again, I, don't give away. No, I won't give stuff. anything away. Um, but I will tell you that I, I was, I had, after I made Flyabout, you know, a, year, a couple of years had gone by and I was still not getting hired to be a director yet. And I was like, what do I need to do next to, you know, I guess I have to, now, I, I, after Flyabout, which was pretty much a one woman project, like I wrote it, I shot it, I edited it, I right. directed everything. Um, I felt like, well, I guess I haven't shown to the world yet that I can work with actors and that I can work with a crew. Cause with I that team that we were talking about, right? Right. Yeah. So I felt like, okay, I guess I need to prove that. So I, the only thing I could afford to sort of self-finance was to make a short film. So sure. I wanted to write um, uh, a script for that. And I was kind of struggling again with, this, with the script part a little bit. And my godmother was visiting me and we went on this road trip through Death Valley. And she asked me, she's like, so when are you finally making your second movie? And I was like, yeah, the script, eh, I don't know. And she said, well, I always thought, I always thought the best idea for a short film would be about a beautiful woman and a goldfish. <laughs> and that's all she said. And my whole mind went like, oh. And I could see in, in that moment as we were driving through Death Valley, I could see the whole story play out in my head in South Pasadena, like all the imagery, the rich imagery. Like, so I went home and I thought, I'm just going to quickly write this idea down before I forget it. Right. And I took, it was like two and a half hours and I had written the whole script. It was actually wow. a... Um, yeah, it's a comparatively simple script, um, but the... But you needed that spark to... I needed that spark, yeah. So what, what did she mean, a beautiful woman and a goldfish? I mean... I, you know, you're going to have to watch the movie. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so uh, you made the film, and you've, like you said, you've been going to a lot of film festivals. What kind of feedback have you gotten? How's that going? It's going great, yeah. the film. So the film has... Um, it. it there, there's a lot of competition in film festivals, and so it took a while initially. You know, it's hard. It's like getting into college. You know, you keep sending it out, and you keep getting like, "Sorry, we liked it, but not this time." Like, right. But then uh, after the first whatever twenty, I got into Dances with Films, which is an amazing film festival here in Hollywood in the Chinese Men's Theater. Um, and so that's where the film premiered, and it was awesome because. That's not a bad place to premiere. <laughs> no, it was a great place to premiere, and. Um, you know, maybe 25, 30 people from South, from my South Pasadena friends showed up and cool. came and, you know, hollered and cheered, it, which was awesome. And um, my film ended up winning the audience award. That's awesome. So it was, I, I just couldn't believe it. it was awesome. And um, that then really helped, propel, you know, like... Give you some into, momentum to get to the Give some momentum to get into yeah, these other film it. festivals. And it's been, it's been such a joyride. I mean, it, I've been able, I've used it as an opportunity to just travel to places I haven't been to. Like, I've never been to the Midwest before, and I went there, huh. you know, to, like, Beloit and Omaha. And um, I went to Columbia. It was my... Well, here's a question for you. Um, so... If you're in Omaha or you're in Bogota, uh, how do those audiences respond to the film? Is it different in each place? Or is Very it... different. Yes, that's a good question. Uh, I'm glad you asked. Yeah, because that's been really interesting to see how, you know, in Bogota, I mean, first of all, the films that they showed in that film festival were very different from American film festivals. They were more serious, sort of more political, more like, you know, whereas, like, I feel like in America... The short film festivals is more more lighter fare, more comedies, mm -hmm. and um, so for example, there there were very serious. You know, there was 
it was more quiet in the room, you know, more like, hmm, what's, what's, what's going on here? You right. know? Whereas like at, here in Hollywood or in Austin, for example, the Austin Film Festival in Cleveland, people were like laughing out loud, you know, halfway through the movie and picking up on little subtle jokes. And um, so, yeah, it's very different. I, I had one, one really nice experience in Palm Springs in November. I, they invited me to show the film at the Desert Film Society. And that's like a uh, group of, I don't know how many, maybe there were 100 or so, uh, 60 to 90-year-old seniors. And I thought, wow, this is going to be interesting. I wonder right. how they are going to respond to right. this film. And they were really into it. Like, they asked some really interesting questions afterwards. And that's cool. Yeah. Um, so do you... Do you know what the next film is? Are you working on the next step now? I am. I um, So I have one more film festival. I'm going actually this coming weekend with my daughter to we're driving to Vegas because we got oh, into awesome. a film festival there. And But I'm also, yes, I'm working on an idea for a feature film that I've had for a while, um, working on that script, which, but, you know, these... These projects take a long time. Sure. So yeah. I'm doing that. In the meantime, I'm really hoping, I worked on a television show last spring that I loved, uh, everything about it. It's about, it's called Sorry for Your Loss. Um, and I'm going to give you a little plug because it's a yeah. great show and everybody should watch it. It's about, uh, it's with Elizabeth Olsen and she plays a young widow who, you know, loses her husband after two years of marriage and basically has to redefine her uh, life and relationships with everyone. And I loved working on that show. It was a Facebook watch uh, show and it's really good. And um, I worked on that as a script supervisor, but I felt all along, I felt like this is the show I'd like to direct. So, And I think I'd be really good at that because it's the kind of real people, real emotions cool. thing that I can really relate to. So I'm hoping they got a second season. So I hope all of South Pasadena will keep their fingers crossed. Okay. So everybody, you got to watch that show. Yes. Got it. Um, I'll, I'll wrap up. Uh, I don't know if I've, I'd mentioned this to you before, but the South Pass Arts Council, Spark, has been kicking around the idea of a South Pass Film Festival. And, yes. Um, okay, I was going to say, what do you think? But I guess that's pretty Oh, uh, no, I've been, I've been hoping for that for a long time. I think I, I, I pitched that to, jo um, you know, Joan Aguado. Mm hmm a while ago, I mentioned, like, there's so many people in South Pass who... Yeah, I, I think it, it's a great idea, and, and I talked to Rob Clyde about it a little bit, too. Mm -hmm. and, um, yeah, I heard that. And so it's in, in its infancy, for sure, but I'm hoping that, you know, over the course of the next year or two that we could organize it. And, um, and I don't know that it, it doesn't... Probably doesn't say all South Pass films... But I think that an emphasis on that, whether it be professionals like you or even student films that, that are, you know, worth watching. For sure. And even if you show some, I mean, you could, you could include films that were shot in South Pasadena, which there right. are, of course, like, a dozen. ton. Right. Yeah, yeah, a yeah. Ton. So it would just be Halloween for three mm -hmm. days straight. Yeah. Just show all the yeah. Halloween movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. Well, Monica, thank you for um, coming on the podcast. And we'll be looking forward to whatever it is that you're working on next. Thank you so much. Yeah, it was really fun. Thanks for inviting me. It is fun. South Pasadena is brought to you by Way Out Sound. Copyright 2019. All rights are reserved. 
Our theme music is Break the Chain by Little Silver Hearts. You can find us at southpodsedina.com. 